wonder if you've ever lost anything important before. Anybody lost anything really important? Raise your hand if you've done that. You're like, even if I don't remember what it is, you're like, I know that I have. And I remember watching uh, this past week, I'm on Facebook all the time because of work, and so I, I run across this stuff, but there was a story of this proposal, maybe you've seen it, right? Where this guy gets down on his knees, out of the blue, to his girlfriend, they're over this like beautiful covered bridge, have you seen this? Gets down on his knee and he goes to offer the ring to her and it slips, falls, this is a $3,000 ring, according to the story, and it falls down and doesn't just land on the ground because, you know, those covered bridges are just slats of wood with just a little bit of gap in between. Proposal gone bad, bloop, into the water, who knows where it is. I don't know the rest of the story if, you know, they got out the waders and tried to dig through the rocks and the mud to find it, but that is pre something pretty important to have lost. That's pretty crazy. That's a devastating loss. But not the kind of loss that is, we're going to look at something that's even more devastating than that. When it comes to the nation of Israel, when it comes to the people of God, and something that they had lost. And that portion of scripture we're looking at today is going to really illuminate that. But the best way to explain what they lost is, is understanding what it means sometimes when people say that they've lost themselves. You ever heard that phrase before? You know someone and they're a certain way and all of a sudden they're just completely different. Everything's changed and they kind of stop and they look back at themselves and it's like they've lost who they were. They've lost something very key. Lance is this way and all of a sudden there's just been this radical change. What happened? And not a loss for good, a loss for bad. You see it in some kind of humorous ways. I was thinking back to high school, you know, it was amazing how many changes would take place over the summer. There are people that, you know, there's the clean-cut kid, right, who just looks the part of a, the cleanest-cut kid you can imagine, that he leaves for the summer, and he comes back, and you're looking as people are coming back into school, and all of a sudden he's dressed like a goth, right? Like, not there's anything wrong with dressing like a goth, but you're like, this person is completely different, completely changed. Or the one that always drove me crazy was there was this, you know, there were kids that you were friends with, right? And... Uh, and all, all of a sudden, they leave for the summer, and they come back, and they walk right past you, don't even look at you. Because something happened over the summer that escalated their social capacity or ability, and all of a sudden, they're like, become cooler than you. Have you experienced this before? Maybe it's just me, because I was a dweeb or whatever. I don't know what the word is now. But, you know, and then all of, you know, so they've just completely changed. They, they in, in my view, would have lost themselves, anyone that does that, Okay. Or, of course, in, in a more serious vein, there's a stigma of having made a mistake so large that nothing else is ever the same. Something so big that, you know, that where you feel like you just lost yourself. And Israel was at a place like that. They'd come a long way from who they were. Because, really, they, they had an incredible story to tell. I want you to think for a moment about who they were, because the story of God's people is pretty incredible. And in Joshua 24, 1 through 18, I'm going to read it as fast as I can so we don't go too long today. But it says, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. This is after they had gone in and they, they'd conquered the land. And he summoned the, summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves not before Joshua, but before God. 
And this is what it says. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says long ago. Your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Let me remind you of your past. Let me remind you of where you've come from. You used to be back in this other place worshipping other gods, but I took your father Abraham, this is God speaking, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. You remember Egypt? And you're like, well, how could I forget, right? Sometimes we forget some things. He says, then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. You remember that place where you escaped from Egypt, and then you felt like, man, what's going to happen now? We're, we're trapped between the sea and all of Pharaoh's army. But they cried to the Lord for help in verse 7, it says, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he brought the sea over them and covered them, and you saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians, I remembering who you are, Israel. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time, and I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. And they fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. Even when Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, and he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. God's continuing to remind the people, look at everything I've done for you. Do you remember where you've come? Then you crossed the Jordan in verse 11. It says, and you came to Jericho. You remember Jericho? Remember the story of Jericho where the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, at night. But I gave them into your hands, right? You walked around those walls for seven days and you shouted and the rocks fell down. I was with you. I'm your God. I sent the hornet, he says, ahead of you, which drove them all out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and bow. You didn't do this with your own strength. A lot like the stories we've been talking about for the last few weeks, it was God's strength and his might and power that changed everything. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. You took over this land and it was already prepared for you. The fridge was already stocked, right, with all of these things. That's how I have provided for you. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors that, that worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Serve me, the one true God that has brought you from here to there, that's walked with you this entire way. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land 
you are living. It's a reminder almost of some of the similar words that we talked about last week with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Hey, you guys are wavering between two opinions. Yeah, I'll serve God today, but today I'm just not feeling it. I'm going to go to church this Sunday, next Sunday. i got stuff to do, man. Sounds very similar to that. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, choose you're going to serve. And then Joshua says this, and we've probably got it in some of our houses, right, where it says, choose whom you're going to serve. But it says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord. Because he is our God. So just a pretty incredible moment where Joshua meets with the people, really where God meets with the people and says, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to follow? So a story to remind you this morning of who Israel is, who the people of God are. And their story is really our story too. Okay? And so considering that, we find this situation First of all, if you know and you follow Jesus, this morning I want to remind you all that you have a redemption story to tell. You know, Israelite was very specific to things that they had come through, but we all have a backstory too, don't we? Before knowing Christ, before realizing everything he's done in our lives, you know, what I used to be and what I am now because of Jesus, the BC, the before Christ and the after Christ, right? This is what I used to be like, but because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. The old is gone, as it says in 2 Corinthians, right? And the new has come. You have a redemption story to tell. We all have a past we were forgiven of, and we all began a new life. This morning, before we go any further, do you know, then, who you are? Hopefully, this morning, you haven't lost yourself. Hopefully, you haven't lost that precious story of what Jesus has done. Because what happens sometimes is, unfortunately, we begin to forget. Israel found themselves in the passage we're going to look at a long way from the commitment that they had made to God that we just read about. They found themselves having walked away from that dedication and love that they gave to God. They'd lost themselves and found their entire nation in a completely different place. Slowly, by Step by step, they began to wander away from God and began to lose themselves. It's kind of like this old illustration you've probably heard before of a, a frog in a kettle. You ever heard of that? They take a frog, and you put the frog in this, this kettle of water, just enough to cover the frog. I guess the frog could still breathe, whatever. And you begin to put him on the stove, and you turn it up. You know, it's about 10 degrees. It gets acclimated. It gets kind of used to the water around it. Turns it up another 10 degrees. He notices it gets a little warm for a minute, and it gets, it gets used to that. And the temperature, as it goes, the story goes, just continues to rise and rise, and the frog gets used to it. And the water temperature has gone from where it used to be to close to death and eventually death. 
can only take so much heat and the frog dies. But he, he got used to it along the way. Step by step, degree by de degree, made a little bit of changes here and there until he really, if you will, for the purposes of our sermon this morning, forgot himself. Forgot what a proper environment should be until he found himself in an environment of death. And what we see in the story of Israel is that Israel had done that sort of thing. They began very strong. They began powerfully serving God and worshiping God and knowing the God that brought them out of Egypt, that brought them out of their past, if you will. But then they found themselves, as it says in the book of Judges, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They began to forget God. And they began to do what seemed right to them. And this family did what seemed right to them. And this family did what seemed right to them. And as a nation, they began to drift away from the God that they worshipped. And that happens to us many times. We would say, and they would say, I'm an Israelite. I serve the, you know, the God of all gods. We would say, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But then some people from the outside would be looking kind of like, What's going on then? Because you, my idea of a Christian is over here, and you're living way over here, step by step, pulling further and further away. And what happened was the kings came in the nation of Israel after the judges, if you know the story of the judges. We began with one king after the next. And you see a lot of up and down with this, but over time as well, the kings began to pull the people of Israel away from God. But no one, according to Scripture, according to what the Lord has to say, was as bad as King Manasseh. Say Manasseh. I just wanted you to say something. I'm just glad, glad it works. Okay, so let me give you an idea. Manasseh became king. It says he was 12 years old when it began to reign. And he reigned 45 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. Say that going to say three times, but that's okay. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations with whom the Lord drove out the people, drove the people out of Israel. In other words, all the nations that used to be in those lands that were not serving him that got driven out, they began to act just like them. For he rebuilt the high places. Now the high places were considered a places where they would worship other gods. They'd go up in the, the highest hills and mountains that they could find, and they would set up altars and shrines to other gods, and they would offer incense and different things. And so he set up these, he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah. Again, Baal, if you remember last week, was a was a the storm god, if you will. There, actually, any name for any other kind of gods were considered Baals. So you think about one big Baal, but there's lots of Baals, if you will. Something other than, obviously, the God of Israel. He erected altars for Baal, and he made an Asherah. An Asherah, where they would make a pole, a carved pole. I guess the best way I can think of it was like a totem pole, if you will. And Asherah was the God of, of fertility. Okay? And it says, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Ahab was a guy we talked about with Jezebel last week. It says, and they worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts 
of the house of the Lord. Think about this for a second. It's like he went ahead and, you know, here's a church building, went in the center of the church building and decided to draw a pentagram. You know, hey, let's park the chairs this morning and let's set up a pentagram right in the center here. Like, really? He set things up inside the temple of God like that, worshiping Baal and worshiping Asherah. If you know the story of the temple and how it was built, there was an outer court of the temple. Temple was called the court of the Gentiles, and there was an inner court. And in those courts of the temple, he had set up altars to Baal and to Asherah. Brought it right inside of the house of God. And then it says, and he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. The temple, and what the temple was known for was, it was the place where, where heaven and earth met, where God's presence was, and Manasseh went ahead and shoved these things right there. He says, and I will not, I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander anymore out of the land that I gave their fathers, if only they will be careful, this is God speaking, to do according to all I've commanded them. And according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord, whom the Lord destroyed for the people of Israel. Manasseh was like, you know, we're going to take Israel even further than the nations had been. The nations that, that served and worshipped all these other gods, Manasseh, Manasseh even went further than that. Was more evil even than the nations that didn't even know God. But there was one king. There was one king who changed everything, and his name was King Josiah. Say Josiah. Say King Josiah. You're very good. Very good. King Josiah, he was eight when he became king. Talk about a responsibility, okay? He was eight when he became king, and he had a passion for God, and he began making big changes at the age of 12. He began to get rid of these things that Manasseh had put in place. The Bible says this king was, he was following after the ways of David, and if you know David, David was, the Bible says that the Lord loved David because he was a man after his own heart. He had a passion for God. A desire to serve God. That says that's the kind of king that he was, but Josiah went even further. As Josiah is in the middle of kind of cleaning house, so to speak, and he was deciding at one point to go ahead and gather up money to repair the temple of God. It was in such disarray. And so as he sent these men to go ahead and take care of the temple, they gathered money to give these people to rebuild it. But there was a discovery in the midst of all this that kicked things into high gear. As they went into the temple, some of the servants that Josiah had sent into the temple found something that changed everything. It was the game changer. They found the book of the law. What do you mean found? It's like, you know, you've found the Bible. 
Really? In, in, in the temple, you found it. The book of Moses, the book of the law, they hadn't seen anything like that in years. Josiah goes in to clean house and to, to rebuild the church, if you will, in our best idea of understanding that, and found, stumbled across the Bible, stumbled across the book of the law. And so, <laughs> dust it off and they bring it back and they read it to Josiah. And Josiah says he tore his robes in realization, the realization of how far the whole nation of God had moved away from what they were supposed to be after reading it. It's pretty incredible. So look at what Josiah does. In 2 Kings, I'm going to go through this quickly. It says, The king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. Same kind of covenant that we read about at the beginning. Remind, remember, Joshua says, all right, this is the people that you are. This is the God that you serve. Will you be faithful to him? Or renew the covenant to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. They renewed their commitment to the God that they serve. It says, The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest and the priests next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. All the stuff for Baal, for Baal was shoved in the church, if you will. It was shoved in the inside of the temple. And he told them, drag the stuff out. And they burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests anointed, appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense in the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. And he ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. And he also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. This place was a complete mess. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places. Again, those places set up for the worship of other gods. From Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua. It just goes on and goes on with everything that he did. In verse 10, it says he desecrated, this is just to give you a piece of this. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. So no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. The valley of Ben-Hinnom was also known as the valley of, uh, also known as Gehenna, which is one of the words that, that Jesus used in the New Testament when he was talking about hell. 
because Gehenna basically had become the garbage dump of town and there was always a fire going continually in this valley where people would just go and throw their trash. And what, what basically Israel had done at this time was they would literally take one of their children and they would offer their child to the god Molech as a sacrifice. They would burn their child. What there was was a, a huge statue, a huge bronze statue that had the body of a man and the head of a bull. And inside of like his chest area, there would be seven different containers and in there they would put a sheep and they would put a, a goat and they would put a bull and they would put turtle doves and they would put all these things and, and they would take the child and put him in the last slot or they would put him in the actual arms that were outstretched of Molech and they would light the entire thing on fire. Why did they do this? Because they believed that if they served the god Molech that he would bless them with financial security. If I sacrifice my child to Molech, we will be taken care of financially, and then you'll bless the rest of the children that I have. So he desecrated this area. It says he removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord as well. It says these horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They worshiped the sun. It says all the starry hosts, they worshiped Molech. It was like all these other kind of gods they could possibly worship. The horses that were dedicated to the sun, they would literally get on the horses every morning before, sun, before the sun broke, and they would ride out to meet the sun as it rose so they could worship it. With these horses, and also later on as you read, chariots that were dedicated to the sun. This goes on and on, and, and I would encourage you to take a look at it in, outside of church, just to read how step by step he eliminated all these things. Had got rid of all these things that all Israel had been worshiping from top to bottom. What's interesting about this, too, is you find out later on that after Josiah did these things, that he called all the nation of Israel to come back and to worship the Passover together. They haven't they hadn't worshipped God. They hadn't been a part of the Passover in years and years and years. Now, what's the story of the Passover? The story of the Passover is about them being freed from Egypt, them being freed from slavery, them being freed from their past and it was set up as a continual celebration so that they would never forget the God who had freed them. And that just went by the wayside. The story of the Passover, of course, is that you would, you would sacrifice a, a lamb and it would be a symbol of really of, of the Messiah that was to come. And they had a celebration like that no one, it says, in Scripture had ever had before with the Passover. And where they literally sacrificed 30,000 lambs alone. It's hard to fathom. Such a turning of the ship around, isn't it? It's huge. This morning is simply a reminder, is simply a call to... Have you have us look at ourselves and to say, are there are there any are there any parts of 
this story that we need to regain? Are there any things that we need to be reminded of, of what God has done so that we serve him fully and passionately and with our whole heart? At the very end of 2 Kings 23, it says, Before him, before King Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. If Israel is going to regain who they are, if we're going to regain who we are and what God's called us to be, there needs to be a rediscovery of what's really important. As they found that book in the middle of the temple and dusted it off and read it, there needs to be a rediscovery in our lives sometimes. We go through moments like this where we've pulled away of what's really important. There's nothing more important than our Savior. Nothing. And yet, what we find is that we have, in different ways, been... We don't, we don't serve other gods or, or worship idols like the story of Israel here. But what other ways, for example, are we looking for financial security as they offered up their children to Molech, the God who would provide them supposedly with their financial gain? There are other ways that we, we kind of serve Molech, if you will. Other ways we... we, we other things we go to to say, well, if we're going to be financially secure, I'm not going to go to God. I'm going to go to this. And all these gods, they all had a purpose. They all had a place in the life of Israel, and they would turn to these other gods for these different things. We've got a problem with fertility, or my crops aren't growing, or we need money, we need this, we need to go worship the God of the sun, we need to go and sacrifice our child to Molech, we need to we need to offer up incense in these high places to Baal and to Asherah. There was a, all kinds of ways to go after what they thought they needed based on what the nations had taught them, not on what God had taught them. So there needs to be a rediscovery, if you will, of us for, of what's really important. There are moments in our life where we, we have to be kind of shaken and awakened to realize God is the most important thing. He's what's really important. The idols of the past have got to be torn down. And that, that had to be a ridiculously crazy job. Can you imagine Josiah, who is, at this point, he's 18, going through Israel and calling for all these changes, tearing down all these things that all of Israel had accepted for years and said, this is what we do. This is, how, this is what everybody else does. This is what the cool kids are doing. This is what Josiah... You're asking us to do, I don't even know what you're talking about. What's this Passover thing? What's this book you've discovered? Can you imagine the resistance, maybe, that he would have had? The idols of the past have to be torn down. But it takes someone that, that is so passionate and in love with the Lord to really follow through. It had to have taken some serious courage for him as well. As the, even, even though he was the king, 18-year-old began at 12 with these kinds of things to, to move forward and to tear these things down. A rediscovery of what's really important. Idols of the past being torn down. True worship had to be restored as well. It's not, we think about sins a lot of times in our lives. We think about things that we're doing that need to stop. 
But there are also sins of omission, if you will. Things that we have not been doing that we should be doing. In their case, it was like the Passover. Really? You haven't celebrated? It would be like us missing Christmas. You know, where every year we are reminded about what's truly important. We're reminded of, of the Savior. We're reminded of the gift of, of Christ. True worship had to be restored. Priorities had to be reset, and like their case, the Passover. We think about this last verse in 2 Kings that we read where it says, There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. It makes me ask the question, what kind of legacy are we leaving behind? What is it in your home where you do have power and authority, if you will, as parents, as the leaders of your home, to change things around? to get rid of whatever idols may be, to, to turn back and to rediscover what's most important. What kind of legacy are we leaving? What are we teaching our kids? What are, we, what are we engaged in? Where are we headed as a family? Where are we headed as a church? Are you satisfied with the things, are you satisfied with the way things are? Or will you have the courage, for example, to lead the way for real change in your family. We all have those moments where we need to kind of stop for a minute and realize, where are we? And what if the frog in the kettle could say, oh, wait, I'm jumping out. We find ourselves in those frog in the kettle moments where we're like, how do we get here? This is really where we need to be. This morning, um, today, my, my past, um, coming up in Southern Baptist churches, we had an altar. A lot of churches you've been at have an altar. And really, very simply, what I, wanna, what I love about this is that there's a place to come before God and to, to kneel. I believe, and we haven't, always done this in our church, that there, that there is something to be said for kneeling in front of the altar. There's something to be said for movement and, and getting up out of your seat and coming forward, not to me, but to God. These are just benches, okay? Just metal benches, but they don't have to be benches today. There needs to be times in our life where we come before the altar and we just leave some things there. When you meet with God and you say, Lord, I can't bear this anymore. I, I, I need to turn away from this. I need help with this. In, in churches I've been at before, there was moments where I just wanted to come up and kneel before the Lord, just meet with him. This is, this is a place between you and him where you just let some things go. Or you just, just maybe need some time to pray before the Lord. And so that's why these are here today. They won't be here every Sunday, but with a song that we're singing, Come to the Altar, I want you to have an opportunity to do that. It takes courage. Because, you know, we, as people, worry, why is Edie up at the altar? You know, maybe something going on? Shut that down. You know, why is whoever there? 
This is a moment for you to meet with the Lord. If you want to, no one's going to force you. No one's going to make you feel bad if you don't. I, don't. I just know that this is what I'm supposed to do today. So if you want to come and pray, if you want to come and, and bawl your eyes out, that's, that's what happened to me as a teenager. You know, when I met Jesus, that's really what it was. I grew up in a Christian church, but there came a moment where there was an opportunity to come forward. And I just remember hearing that passage, Luke 9, 23, where Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. And I just remember coming forward and just bawling my eyes out. And everything at that moment changed because my direction, my heart, my mind was set on him. Everything changed. And that's the thing about the Lord. When you give everything to him, man, he just turns it all around. The stories we've been talking about have been about a God who can handle anything, about a God who can handle the impossible, about a God who heals, about a God who, who created the heavens and the earth. This is a moment for you to come to the altar, and to pray, to worship the Lord, whatever it is that you need to tell him, let this be an opportunity for you to come and just to, to share your heart with him. Forget about what anyone else might think. Let this be a time for you and the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And you can just stand there and do nothing. You can stand there and pray. What you do is, is up to you. But if you want to come forward today and just spend some time with the Lord, let this be your time.
ask that you just rearrange our life around you. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've walked away from you. Maybe even in some big ways, maybe in some little ways, Lord. It, whatever it is, Lord, we just turn to you today. We just, we love you. Lord, we just pray that you take the burdens of our heart this morning. Take the fears, the worries. Take the things that need to change. Take the healing that's needed. Or that you just make the change, Lord. Lord, we trust in you today. We worship you. We love you. Lord, we ask that as we walk from this place, Lord, that Maybe there's just a renewal today. There's just a, a fresh air, Lord. There's a better understanding of your presence where we ask that you would help us to, to hold on to that as we go through this week. Lord, that we serve you, we worship you in every moment. We love you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.